We are reading from verse 4 to 6 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 6. And it says there, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and devote this time to him. Uh, Father in heaven, once again we thank you for your loving kindness and your grace. And we thank you for the grace that saved us and, um, and gave us a new destiny and a new home with you. Father, we thank you for the wonderful work that was done on Calvary by our Lord and our Saviour, who came all the way to this earth, Father, and lived a perfect life in our place and died in our place, that we might have life. So we thank you this morning and we honour him, we lift up his name, and Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to sacrifice your only son for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we thank you that while we were ungodly, and still your enemies, Father, you came seeking for us to save us from an eternity away from you. So, Father, we pray this morning that the word of God would be preached strongly and boldly and with, with perfect truth, and that the Spirit would be uh, allowed to move unfettered in our own hearts, that we'd be open to that truth, that we might live by it and grow by it and honour you by it. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had a bit of a quandary this week. Normally when we have a, a big day like today where we have baptisms and memberships, we would normally do a sermon that was specifically devoted to expand on and explain all the things of what baptism is about. But recently someone else gave a sermon about baptisms, which was pretty good, I must admit. Although the title was a little bit iffy. The title went along the lines of um, Reasons Not to Get Baptised. And when I first heard that, uh, that title, I thought, oh no, but Brother Alan doesn't let me down. He gave us uh, some good reasons not to get baptised, and um, he gave us plenty of reasons to get baptised. And I think the whole, the whole gist of the, the sermon was about not doing it for the wrong reasons. Okay? And some people think that baptism uh, adds something to your salvation, or gets you into heaven, or, or cleanses away the sin, which it does none of those things. Um, what it is, is simply a, an outward sign to everyone else of what God's done on the inside. So if, you, it's, if today we see what's going on, if you observe what's going on, what we are looking at, and what we're reminded of is that Jesus continues to build his church. See, the passage today, as it comes out, and as it's worked out in, in order is about Jesus building up his church stone by stone and brick by brick. And it, the picture is that we are those stones that God puts together and is building a house. And when you look at baptisms and you look at memberships, that's exactly what that's a picture of too. That when a person has committed their life to the Lord and they get dunked under that water, they're reminding everyone about what's happened to them and to their life. So we're seeing that Jesus continues to add people to his church from the very beginning and we are grateful and we should be joyous that God continues to work in people's lives the same way he worked in the beginning. 
So we are uh, very happy about what's happening today. And our prayer is for those who have taken this next step of obedience as well. So let's look at this passage today. Now, we looked last week, um, the first few verses, verses 1 to 3, and we were reminded that once a person chooses to follow Christ, once they choose to accept him into their lives as Lord and Saviour, the Apostle Peter says, you need to put away certain things. There are certain things in your life which no longer match what you you are doing now. They may have fitted what you were doing before and what sort of lifestyle you had before, but now these things are no longer compatible with our lives. They should feel wrong. And he gives a list there, very basic list, and he says, put aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisies, envies and evil speakings. We went through each of those words and explained them uh, last time. I won't do that again. But then he said on top of that, so once you put aside those things, and it was a bit like having a book. I gave you an illustration about reading a book and then realising that book isn't a book for you. And you close the cover, you put it to the side and you don't pick it up again. That's the picture of the Christian with the old way we used to live it's the sort of thing that makes us feel uncomfortable that we don't want to do anymore and the apostle peter says just close it and put it on the side things like malice and guile which means trickery hypocrisies being a hypocrite envies envying other people and what they have and speaking things which don't edify don't build up but they tear down well you don't speak the truth We don't speak in love. Peter says, put that stuff away. But he says, where you've put away, now take up. And he says, as newborn babes, as babies. And those of you who've had babies who are hungry, they're not normally quiet, are they? Okay, and they start, when they start to cry, you know something is wrong. They have hunger pains. Now, Peter says, just as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word, which means have that same desire that a baby has for milk. Desire God's word that same way. In other words, when you don't have it, you want more of it. That's the sort of love, the sort of want we should have. And God puts that want in us. The only way that want is actually turned off is if we blunt it. If we focus too much on the world. But the more you have the word of God, the more you will want. And it's spiritual milk. The, the truth that comes from the word of God is that which feeds us, which strengthens us and helps us to grow. I was speaking with a brother uh, just recently or last night about this very thing. The word of God, God does not save a Christian to leave them as they are. Would you agree with that? He didn't save us to leave us as we were. God loves us too much for that. And the thing is that when a person puts their faith in Christ, what happens is the Bible says that God adopts them into his family. He literally becomes our father. And what do good fathers do? Good fathers provide for their children. They protect their children. They're concerned for their children. And sometimes when the children go astray and don't do what they're told, a good father smacks their children. And as much as that might not be nice, God does everything that he does for our benefit. The Bible says all things work together for good, not for bad, 
to them that love the Lord. Okay, so if you love God, if God is indeed your father and you are disobedient, expect God to give you a smack. And he does that because he wants, you to, he wants the best for you and he wants to get your attention and bring you back in line. But in every possible way, we have a loving heavenly father who is a perfect example of what a dad is. A perfect dad. The Bible says that he provides everything we need. He's always looking out for us. He's always going ahead of us. He's always making sure that he's there with us. He never abandons us. So when he gave us the word of God, he gave that to us for our benefit, that we might grow, and he wants us to grow. And one of the reasons that he has put people like me here is that my job is to help you grow. He has planted the same desire in me that he has for you directly, in that I need to see you grow as people. I need to see you grow as Christians. My desire is that you would dig into that word, that you would grow, that you would learn, that you would apply what you learn from the word of God into your lives so that you are strong Christians and that you're not beaten around every time something comes your way and you begin to doubt and you say, oh no, now woe is me. That our life shouldn't be like that. If your life is like a roller coaster when it comes to your faith, if your life is, is neither here nor there, then my challenge to you today would be to look at what's happening in that pool this afternoon and understand that that tells the world that I died. The old me is now dead and Jesus gave me new life. And just as he died on a cross and was buried and then he rose on the third day, the Bible says somehow I died with him on that cross. And when I died with him, I was buried. So you, you're going to watch today. When they go under the water... They're not going forward. They're not diving in head first. They're not jumping in with their, with their feet. You know how, what, what the look is going to be? You know what the picture is? They're going to be doing this and then going back. That's a picture of someone who's dead. But the good part of it is when I put them under the water, that's a picture of death. But I'm not going to leave them there. They're coming up. So the picture is the old me has died with Christ on that cross and the new me has come up. God has given me a new life, a completely new life. And the Bible says that we are new creatures in Christ. So today we are looking at that and we're celebrating that. But let's look at the verse 4 as we look in this passage. It says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. The picture here that Peter uh, presents for us is that we have somehow come to Jesus. We've come to Jesus as a living stone. A stone that was rejected by the world and continues to be rejected by the world. If you doubt that, have a look at how many people there are in the world. How many are there? About 7 billion? And if there was... 500 million that were genuine followers of Christ, I would be surprised. How many have not chosen to follow him? My brethren, we have a lot of work to do. There are so many lost in this world. There are so many who are destined for an eternity in hell. We need to make use of this time that we have. 
because there is too little of it and there is too few of us. And our goal is to share what God has done in our lives with them. We should always be mindful that there are about 50,000 people every day going to hell. So, something for us to think about. But the Bible says that we've come to the living stone, a stone that the world has rejected, but God has chosen him. God chose this particular stone, and the Bible says that he is precious. He's more than a stone, we know that. And the picture is that he is the cornerstone. He is the first one that goes down. He is the one that gives the line to all the other ones. You see, a cornerstone, if you're building a house, the cornerstone was the most important stone because that stone had to be perfectly cut and it had to be lined up exactly on that corner because the walls that were built were built from that particular place. You might see some of the stones, some cornerstones in some old buildings, okay? And those stones had dedic- would have dedication things written on them. This stone was laid by so-and-so on this particular day. Well, that's the picture of what Jesus Christ is to the church. He was the first stone that was laid down and he gives direction to all the other stones and they all connect up to him. If the first stone is wrong, the whole house doesn't, doesn't fit, doesn't work. It goes in, in, off in wrong directions. But if that stone is perfect, if it's cut just right, if it's laid in just the right angle, you know something? The house builds up absolutely square and perfectly. And that's what Jesus is. He is precious. He is perfect in every possible way. And he is more than that. He is our foundation, the Bible says. The Bible says, The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He is the rock of our salvation. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with me, and we'll look a little bit about what the Bible says about Jesus being the rock. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. It says there, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual manner and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. The rock that the Bible says that Moses struck and then was supposed to have spoken to the second time but didn't, the Bible says that when water came out of that, that was provided supernaturally. That was provided miraculously by God. And that water was, that rock was Christ. And that rock somehow followed them and provided what they needed in terms of refreshment. The Bible says now that Jesus is our rock. He provides spiritual water that we need. And the Bible says that when a person comes to him and accepts him, it says that out of their belly will flow streams of living water. And that's because the Bible says that he gives us his Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit provides us the spiritual life that we need. He is our spiritual life. Because if you look at the next verse, 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Ye are also lively stones. You know, we are living as well. And the only reason we're living is because we've been connected to the living one. There is something that's happening at the moment, which our eyes can't see, which our ears can't necessarily hear, but there's something happening nonetheless, which is more real than the, the things that you see in front of your eyes and the things that you hear with your ears. And that is that Jesus is building his church. He's building his church. And we can't see it. What we see here is a representation of that. We see this church as a picture of what's happening in the heavens. Okay? But the Bible says that he's building his church. And with every person that he takes and adds on to that church, that, that are connected to him, the Bible says they come alive. And it's a bit like having a battery and you connect one light globe to it and it lights up. And you connect another light globe to it and it lights up. And you connect another one and it lights up. That's what's happening in heaven. And with every one of our names that are written in the book of life, the Bible says that we are living beings. We came from a dead situation and now we're alive because we got connected to him. And the battery never runs out. The battery is better than the Duracell bunny and the, or the Energizer bunny, whoever it is. It never finishes. It is the source of power for the entire universe and more. And we've been connected to him. We no longer have to worry about death. We don't have to, no longer have to worry about hell. No longer have to worry about living lives with no purpose. The Bible says that when you're connected to Jesus, you have everything you need. And Jesus is the head of that corner. He is that perfect stone. And with every stone that's connected to him, because it actually says that it started off with the apostles. So, they, so he came first. He was the first living from the dead. So that he came, and then the Bible says the apostles were joined to him, the prophets were joined to him, and the church started to build. Only because it's joined to him. And because we've now come to the living stone, the Bible says that we are now living, that we're lively. Some of us might not look too lively. But we are. If you have Jesus in your life, you have life. Amen. You may not understand it. You may not feel it. The Bible says that there is something that's happened in your heart and in your life which will translate to an eternal life. So it's a simple case that we have come to the living stone and we've become connected to him. In John chapter 15, verse 5, just listen to this, you don't have to turn there. Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. This is the same picture. If you're not connected to Jesus, there is nothing you can actually do. You don't have life. It's a bit like a branch being cut off from a tree. Once it's cut off, it withers and dies. And Jesus says, if you're connected to me, 
The life that I will give you will flow through to you and as a branch, you can bear fruit. But if you're not connected to me, you can't bear fruit. You will eventually rot, you will die, you will rot. And the Bible says the only thing that you'll be fit for is to be thrown into the fire. Turn to Revelation chapter 1 with me. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 says, And when I saw him, this is the Apostle John, he says he saw Jesus. And it says that when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. That's the Lord that we serve. He was the one that was living. He died and he's back and he lives forevermore. And because he lives we can have confidence that we will live forever as well. But it goes further. It doesn't just say that we're connected with some sort of an energy source. The Bible says that we're connected with a purpose. So when, when we're being joined together in this thing called the church, the Bible says that he's building up a spiritual house. He's building a house. A spiritual house is not the same as people saying that these days that they're spiritual. Okay? It says he's building a spiritual house. Ever heard, ever spoken to someone, maybe in conversation, and you say, do you believe in God? And they say, oh, I'm a spiritual person. <laughs> oh, you've heard that, that, that uh, one before, have you? A spiritual person. A spiritual person is someone who is into maybe some new age philosophy, maybe Jedi, maybe the, the Star Wars sort of business. Maybe they're into tarot cards, maybe they're into angels or, or um, magic or astrology and all these other mumbo-jumbo. That's a spiritual person. What a spiritual person is telling you is that they don't believe in God, right? What they are is that they refuse to actually acknowledge the one and only God because when they acknowledge him, they have to become accountable to him. And if they are accountable to him, they have to follow his ways and they have to do it his way. But a spiritual person can do it their own way. They can make their own way. You know something? And it's so beautiful. Because I'm not accountable to anyone. I can do whatever I want. I can make up my own religion however I want. And, I th- and I'm a spiritual person because um, I think about spiritual things all the time. <laughs> now, it's actually... It sounds ridiculous, isn't it? That someone can think to themselves, they can create their own way. Never having been to the other side, never having known, but simply because someone shares something nice with them, somehow that must be true then, because it feels nice. It gives them a warm sensation. A lot of people who, who, have, who have enjoyed a warm sensation who are now enjoying, unfortunately, a too warm a sensation. And, that's, and that is a terrible consequence. The Bible says that... Um, that Jesus is alive forevermore. 
He's alive forevermore and he is building his church. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man, no one comes to the Father except through me. I don't care what religion you think you have. I don't care what truth you think you have outside of him. And forget about religion, to be honest with you. Forget about the names. Forget about Baptists and Presbyterians and Catholics and and whatever religion you want to call it. Forget about those. Because Jesus says, you know something? Without him, you can be a Baptist all your life. Did you know that? Did you know being a Baptist won't get you into heaven? It doesn't. Being a Baptist will not get you into heaven. You can go to church every day of your life. You can do all the things that everyone thinks that you know, Christians should do. But if you don't know Jesus, if you don't go through him, if he is not your saviour, and you're simply a church to please someone else or, or make your fa- yourself feel uh, a bit better about yourself or, or try and do good for other people, that doesn't get you into heaven. Jesus says, without him, we can do nothing. Jesus says, unless we go through him, we're not getting to the Father. And the Father is who we want to get to. Without without him, we have no Father. The Bible says that God's building a house. What does it mean, building a house? What's he building a house for? Well, what a house is for. What do you do? To live in. God's building a house. In the Bible, and, and we know you don't build houses just to keep them empty. You build a house to live in it, don't, don't you? So the Bible says that we are being built up into a house. Now, who's going to live in that house? Who's the resident? Who's the person who actually takes up residence and, take, and says, this is my house? You know who it is? The Bible says God is living in that house. God is building himself a house to live inside. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to look at three key verses here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 and verse 12 says, Beloved, If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth, what does it say? In us. And his love is perfected in us. If you are a Christian, if you've put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that God dwells automatically in us. The Bible says he puts his Holy Spirit in us. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Know you not that ye are the temple of God. He's talking about the church. Know ye not that ye, church, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. We are the temple of God. What sort of a house is God building? He's building a temple. And the one who dwells in the temple is God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 as we finalise this thought. Because this is what the church is. It's not some building. You know, some people say, oh, I'll go to that church on the corner over there. The church is not a building. We can meet anywhere. You can meet, the church can meet anywhere. It can meet outside and still be a church. The building doesn't make it a church. What makes it a church is that there's a, there's a group of believers 
who have put their faith in Christ, who have been baptised and who are actually saying, we are together to serve God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says, Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. See, we've already said that. Now Paul's saying it. Remember, Peter was saying it. Now Paul's saying the same thing. Jesus is our chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together. This is beautiful. For an habitation of God through the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? You believe this morning? You're being built into a habitation for God. You are part of that dwelling. See, the Bible says that God doesn't dwell in, in, in houses made of hands and stone and stick and wood and whatever else it is. He dwells in the hearts by faith of those who put their trust in him. So if you're a believer this morning, you need to understand that you're not, you're not alone, first of all, but that God already dwells within you. But second of all, there's a connection that God's putting you together with. And that's what other believers who believe the same as you. And one day, that building will be revealed. We don't, we don't see it now. We, we know we have a connection with every other believer in the world, but we don't see it. This is why the local church is so important. We don't meet together with the universal church. We don't have communion with the universal church. When you baptise, you're baptised into a local church because this is a picture of what's happening up there. And one day, when it's all said and done, and Jesus rounds up his last few and says, time to come home. I've got some other business to do. And he'll round up his last few that are remaining on the earth and he'll take them home to be with him. There's an, order, there's an unbelievable celebration that's going to take place. We finally get to see, see everyone else who's in this building. We finally get to meet them all. We finally get to sit down with them all. We finally get to see what God has been building and the Bible says it's going to be so unbelievable that the angels will actually marvel at this thing. And it's going to be a testimony to the rest of creation about God's mercy and his grace. And if you believe in Jesus, you're part of that. So let me encourage you this morning. And when you see those people being dunked over there this morning, that's just the same thing going on. That God has chosen to continue to bring those people in. And Jesus is still building his house. He hasn't stopped yet. But the Bible says that one day he will stop. The building will cease. The temple will be finished. And God will say, well done, my son. Looks unbelievable. And the Bible says that then he comes back. And it's not going to be a pretty sight. You see, we have these two pictures on each side. The Bible says that he first came as a lamb and he allowed them to crucify him, to beat him, to scourge him, to mock him, to do whatever they wanted to him. And they did. But the Bible says that when he returns, he returns as that. Now that is not going to be a pretty sight. He comes back to take what's rightfully his. 
So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Not only are we being built into a habitation for God as a holy temple, but who serves in a temple? See, every temple needs priests. Okay? Every temple needs priests because the priests are in the temple to serve God. And that's exactly what you and I are as well. The reason that I don't wear a collar up here. You ever wondered that? It doesn't suit me. I've always wondered what I'd look like in one of those really big hats. You know those really pointy ones like that? I do have an Italian background, all right? I've got the... Oh, terrible as well. I won't bother then. The reason, we don't, the reason we don't have priests in the Baptist church is that according to this scripture and every other scripture that refers to priests in the New Testament, guess what? We're all priests. We're all priests, which means I expect you to be wearing all those hats next week when you come here as well. No, we're, the Bible says that we are all priests. Not There aren't just a select group of people or men coming from a particular tribe or, or a special calling. The Bible says that when God saved us, he actually not only is building us into a house, a temple, the Bible says that he's made every one of us priests. Now, what does that basically mean? Well, a priest is someone who has the right to come directly before God's throne and to make petitions of him. A priest is someone who is able to offer sacrifices. Okay? And in both of those cases, we have it. We've been given it. Male, female, wherever you've come from, you, the Bible says now, if you're in Christ, you are a priest. Jesus is our high priest. Okay? The Bible says that we have been sanctified and set apart. We are part of what's called a holy priesthood. And we are the only ones in this world who have this ability. The ability, to, the ability to come before God's throne and to make petitions of him and he listens. And you know why? Because you're also his children. So when his children come before their father and they say, Dad, I, we need something over here. Something's not right. God says, tell me, my child, what is it? We have the, an amazing ability to be able to do that. And when Jesus died on the cross... One of the things that happened was that there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the other things. So people couldn't access it. A very special part of the temple in Jerusalem, the Bible says that it ripped by itself from the top to the bottom. When Jesus died on that cross, the veil was rent in two, which which showed us that we can actually come in ourselves because of what Jesus did on the cross. So... If you're a believer this morning, you are a priest. You don't need a middleman. You don't need another saint to pray to. You don't need another priest to pray for you. You don't need me to pray for you. Don't get this wrong. okay? If you're a believer, you don't need other Christians to pray for you. Although, we should be praying for each other. But don't think in your mind that somehow... That if you're a, a believer, that somehow, oh, if I go to Pastor Frank and he prays for me, God's going to listen to his prayers more. It doesn't work like that. See, in God's eyes, we're all his children. We may be at different levels of maturity, but if you're a child of God, he will never turn away from you. 
He'll listen to what you have to say. We have that that privilege of being able to come before God without someone in the middle to actually try and say a prayer for us. You can pray to him. The Bible, in fact, the Bible says that even if you don't know which words to speak, even if you come to God and you say, I don't know what to say, God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit within you is talking on your behalf. He's speaking on your behalf with groans and utterings that we don't even know and understand. The Bible says we're being prayed for constantly. That's part of Jesus' job. He's our advocate. He's the one who's constantly praying for us. So if you don't know what to say this morning, don't worry. Say whatever comes. Pray as simply as you know. And in time, you will learn to pray more eloquently like some other people. But God isn't concerned about the eloquence. You understand that, don't you? Five words said from the heart mean a lot more to God than 500 words said in just the right way. The Bible says that as priests as well, we can not only go to God in prayer, we offer up sacrifices. Now, what sort of sacrifices are acceptable to God? Because, I mean, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He offered himself as a lamb and he covered all of our sins and all the important stuff was taken care of. So what do we offer as sacrifices? Well, there are two only, really. If you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we'll look at the first one. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says there, I beseech you therefore, brethren, now Paul's talking to the believers here, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Your bodies are meant to be presented to God as a living sacrifice, not dead. Not something that you've killed and then you've put on top of a thing and you, you let the blood run out. The Bible says that we are living sacrifices. What does that mean? Well, what happened was this. When Jesus died on that cross, and then I put my faith in him 2,000 years later, the Bible says that I was in him, and I died too. Okay? What happened at that cross was an exchange. It was an exchange. It was a swap. And God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will take everything that you are, and I'll give you everything that my son is. Did you get that? So, so everything that I am, I mean, all my sin, and all my wretchedness, the fact that I can't save myself, the fact that I, there is nothing good in me. You mean God took that? I mean, I was destined for hell. The Bible says I was an enemy of God. The Bible says that I had, I had sin in my heart full of iniquity and there was no chance that I could actually be free. God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. My son's going to die on that cross. And Frank, I'm going to take everything that you are. And I'm going to take all that sin and all the stain and all the problems that you've got. I'm going to take your future as well. I'm going to take all of that. I'm going to put it on my son. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take everything that he is. All the good that he did. The perfect life that he lived. All the righteousness that he has, all the righteousness that he has, the perfection that he has. I'm going to give that to you. And there was an exchange that took place. 
So, do you see why it says here, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is just reasonable? He bought this. It's like someone who had the most expensive car in the world. And I had, the, I had a rust bucket with no engine in it. And God said, I'll give you my car. You give me yours. And I'll say, what, do I, what can I pay you for this? And he goes, don't worry. I want you to have the good car. I don't want you to have the rusted car anymore. I, don't, I want you to have the best. So he gave me the best. And I gave him the rust, the bucket. This body, this body which is going to die, which is destined for nothing, it will turn to dust one day. There's nothing good in this. And God said, give me that. You just give me that and let me work with that. And I'll give you the, the rest. Do you see what Christianity is, why it's so unbelievable? Because all of his righteousness, everything that was good in him, he put into my account. So when God looks at me now, he doesn't see the, the, the rusted out bomb. God looks at me and sees something unbelievable. He doesn't see me the same way anymore. Is there any reason why you could say no to God? If you know that this morning, and if you haven't trusted God for that, let me ask you a question. Why would you not accept that sort of offer? Is it, is it something that's within you? Is it something that we feel as if we can do ourselves? We can't. The Bible says there is no way we can do it ourselves. The Bible says that God gave us an unbelievable gift. And we will spend the rest of eternity actually thanking Him for that. So when it says there that... Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is reasonable for you to do. You bet I'm going to do it. Because I'm getting so much more than what I ever gave him. All I've given him is heartache and grief and problems. And he still looks after me. The other thing that he, that he asks us to do, the other sacrifice that we offer is the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The only two things God expects of you and me as Christians is that we understand that our bodies are his, that he bought them for an amazingly expensive price. And second of all, be thankful. Is that too much to ask? Because I don't think it is. When you're connected to the living stone, when you're connected to the rock, Jesus Christ, we have every day to be thankful for. And if we're not thankful, then we've missed a big point. We've missed it. As we celebrate the baptisms and memberships today, we're seeing the same picture looked at from a different angle in this passage. But nonetheless, it achieves the same thing. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 40. 
So the picture that Peter gives us is one where God is building a house brick by brick, stone by stone. And look at what happened at the very beginning of the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40, it says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort. This is the Apostle Peter again saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That word added means they were added to the church. They were the first 3,000 bricks, roughly. Okay? And God's added those 3,000 bricks in the very first day of the church. And God is still building his house. His son is still building a house. And that house is being built in heaven. And we don't know exactly what that house looks like. But the Ephesians also, the book of Ephesians, or the letter to Ephesians, also tells us that we sit already with Christ in heavenly places. We already sit with him. You don't see it? Somehow we're sitting with him already. The scriptures prophesied back in Isaiah chapter 28 that God would lay a chief cornerstone. That was 700 years before Jesus was born. That God would lay a cornerstone. He would start a new building with a new future. That building would represent the beginning of a new creation for God. And church, the church, the children of God, the bride of Christ. Without Jesus, this building would not be possible. So look at, look at the last verse. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Let's just... Run through three of those words so you understand them. Elect means he was chosen by God. Jesus was chosen by God to do the job because no one else could do that job that he was supposed to do. And it's as simple as understanding that when we elect our politicians, what have we done? We've chosen them. So the Bible says here that God chose his only begotten son to go to the earth and to do the job. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn back one chapter. And just to clarify that. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. Peter tells us there, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, which is your, your old lifestyle, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. When was Jesus chosen to do this job? Before God even created the world. You might think, how was that? Because God already knew what we're going to do. In all of his wisdom... You know, the thing that doesn't hold back God is time. He's not stuck in the middle of it like we are. We can't see tomorrow. We know yesterday. We can't change yesterday. And we, and we don't know what's happening tomorrow. All we can live is in the here and now. You know something? God can live in the future, the, the, the past, and in the present. He can't, he's not stopped by anything. So when God created the world, before he created anything, God already knew that Satan was going to fall. He knew that man, Adam and Eve were going to fall. He knew that mankind was going to go in, in a, a way off direction. But he still chose to create us. He could have not. 
He could have said, no, I'm not going to create anything. I don't need any of you guys. I'm just going to stay with myself. He was perfectly happy with himself. He didn't need us. But he chose because he had so much love, he wanted to pour it out. And he still chose to create us, even though we were going to become his enemies, and even though he knew it was going to cost him his own son before he created anything. Now, that's love. Because if it was me, I would have created a few robots, maybe. You know what I mean? A few robots that you can just tinker with and, you know. No, God had to create us. People with problems and thoughts and freedoms of, of, and that they want to go their own way. God created us free. Maybe, maybe to love you need freedom, huh? Mm. God, created, God created us free. God created us so we could think. He didn't create robots. But when you create something that's free, it can choose to rebel. It can choose to destroy. It can choose to, to kill and do whatever we see in this world today. And man, most times, took the wrong way rather than the right way. And God had to come in and rescue. So Jesus was chosen before the foundation of the world. So that was, he was elect. The Bible says that he is precious. He is precious. Indeed, he's precious. It says his blood, he was precious, but his value is beyond measure. His, His value cannot be, you can't put a value on him. He is precious beyond belief. And whoever possesses him possesses more wealth than Anyone can imagine. Let me close with these thoughts today. Do you have him today? Do you have him as your possession? Do you understand how precious he is? Have you been connected to the living stone? Are you alive? Or is your destiny somewhere where you don't know today? Have you received the elect of God? Have you received the only begotten Son of God as your Lord and your Saviour? Do you understand that he shed his blood for you? Have you discovered how precious Jesus is? With him in your life, there is nothing that can come against you that can defeat you. Did you know that? There is nothing that can come against you. And he says that his grace is sufficient for every day of our lives. Today, as we celebrate these baptisms... And we see people being voted into the church and joining the church and saying, yes, I'm going to be one of you guys. We're celebrating what Jesus has done. This is not really a celebration of these people or us. It's a celebration of him. This is what this day is all about. This is a celebration of God and Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. We're just blessed to be part of it. Baptism is an outward declaration of what Jesus has done when you were saved. Today, when we see people going under that water, professing their faith in Jesus Christ, it becomes a picture of his death, his burial and his resurrection. Not only is it a picture of what happened to Jesus, but it's also a declaration to everyone else that I died. I died up there. The old me is gone. And now there's a new me that God has put in there. They are now the living stones that God has put together in his building up there. I'd like to read one more passage, and we've already read part of it, which is Acts chapter 2, 
verse 37 to 41. Because I'd like you to just, just to finalise this as we go into this baptism time. Because I want you to understand, this was the beginning of the church. And what we see, how a person gets saved today, is exactly the same way they were saved then. No different. Forget about all the other bells and whistles and everything else that, that, that religions like to put on and make, and make it complicated. It's no more complicated than this. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, right, verse 37, Now they... These are people that were listening to Peter's sermon. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we have to do now that we know this information? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptised, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. In this one passage, we see the conviction of the Holy Spirit when they say, What do we do? We know we're sinners. We know we're going to hell. What do we do? What can we do? And then the gospel is presented to them. That Jesus Christ died on their sins and they were simply to put their faith in him. And that by putting their faith in him, he would give them new life. So we see the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We see then repentance. Which means they realised that they were sinners. They realised that sin was wrong. And they said, I don't want any of that anymore. I want to turn to God. So we see repentance from sin. We see then belief. It says there, they gladly received his word. In other words, they heard what he had to say. They said, Jesus, he said, Jesus is your answer. And they said, I'll have that. I'll take it. How do I take it? How do I have it? How do I get it? What do I pray? And so they accepted his word. Then the Bible says they accepted his word. They were baptised and then they were added to the church. That's it. Christianity is not more, more complicated than that. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. It's very simple. The Spirit of God convicts you in your heart that you're a sinner. He provides a solution with the gospel. He shows you that Jesus Christ is your answer. You repent of that sin. You turn to Jesus Christ. And you accept eternal life forever. No more. Once it's done, it's done. No one can take that away from you. He's with you for the rest of your life. And the Bible says that he will guarantee that you, you, you have a home in heaven. So this morning, if there are any here who don't know him, or if you're not sure, now's a good day. Now is the perfect day for you to say, you know something, I want to make sure today. If you're not sure if you're going to heaven, you can be. The Bible tells you so. And if you have a choice between listening to other people, what they have to say and what God has to say, you know who you should choose? God, every time. Because men will always try and complicate things. Men will always try and make trouble. Men always try to put themselves in the middle of it. But God says, you don't need anyone in the middle. 
It's just you and me. Let's deal here now, together. Let's reason together here. If you don't know if you're going to heaven today, come to me. Repent of your sin. Turn to me with all of your heart and accept my son as your Lord and your saviour. Believe what he did for you on the cross and I'll give you a home in heaven. No work to do. Nothing to try to prove because we can't prove anything. And God says he'll give you a gift that you cannot ever, ever, for the rest of eternity, work out how you got. So today, if there's any that are here, if you watch those baptisms, if you're not sure, please come to me. Go to someone who you know has the truth and get them to share it with you. Because you may not have it tomorrow. God bless you.